Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, Microsoft has agreed to stop bundling Teams with the Office Suite. A previously reported Chrome Zero Day vulnerability is now being actively exploited in the wild, and a mixed week for Google Cloud Platform as the service became profitable but has had a serious regional outage. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my awesome sponsors. It includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also, of course, brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On last week's episode of the podcast, I covered multiple zero-day vulnerabilities that were patched by Google for Chrome within just five days of each other. Well, CVE-2023-2033, which is a confusion vulnerability in Chrome's V8 JavaScript engine, is now under active attack. A confusion vulnerability, according to MITRE, is, can lead to out-of-bounds memory access in languages like C and C++ without memory protection. Confusion vulnerabilities in the context of Chrome V8 JavaScript occur when the program allocates or initializes a resource such as a pointer, object, or variable using one type, but it later accesses that resource using a type that is incompatible with the original type. Now, of course, if you follow the podcast every week, I've covered numerous different stories of vulnerabilities in Google Chrome. And the bad thing is here that Google does not tend to share a whole lot of information about vulnerabilities, even when they're being actively exploited. Um, You know, I've thought that maybe a few months removed, there'd be more information provided by them but that doesn't tend to be the case. So there isn't a whole lot of information to go off of, but as I said on last week's episode of the podcast, they did release new versions with patches for the zero-day vulnerabilities, I believe last Tuesday and last Friday. So make sure you're up to date on the latest version of Chrome. Microsoft has agreed to stop bundling its Teams remote collaboration software with its Office productivity suite. This is an attempt to appease the EU and to avoid another antitrust investigation, which competitor Slack asked for back in 2020 when Microsoft started eating their lunch. Financial Times sources say companies will eventually be able to buy Office with or without Teams installed, but the mechanism on how to do this remains unclear. And this comes the same week that the CMA, which is a UK regulator, denied Microsoft's acquisition attempt of Activision, citing stifling competition in the cloud gaming industry. The EU and US regulators have yet to give final approval too, but it is suspected that the EU and US, the US Fed, uh, are likely to grant approval. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Again, kind of shaky ground microsoft is such a large organization acquiring someone like activision uh, does always bring up this type of 
question about it being an unfair monopoly and anti-competitive and definitely the teams lumping in with office which pretty much every enterprise uses uh, gave it a huge advantage over slack who are now owned by salesforce so it'll be interesting to see how this proceeds the public preview of Windows Local Administrator Password Solution, or LAPS, for Azure AD, for both Azure AD joint and hybrid Azure AD joint devices, is now available. And this is now part of Microsoft's Entra, which is like their Entra suite of products. And there are some pretty important capabilities that are enabled in this preview that includes being able to turn on Windows LAPS using a tenant-wide policy and a client-side policy to back up local admin passwords to Azure AD. You'll be able to configure client-side policies via Microsoft Intune portal for local administrator password management to set account name, password age, length, complexity, manual password reset, and so on. You'll be able to recover stored passwords via Microsoft Entra, Microsoft's Intune portal, or the Microsoft Graph API. Uh, you'll be able to enumerate all LAPS-enabled devices via Microsoft Entra portal or Microsoft Graph API. You'll be able to create Azure AD role-based access control policies with custom roles and administrative units for authorization of password recovery. And you'll also be able to view audit logs via Microsoft Entra Portal or the Microsoft Graph API in order to monitor password update and retrieval events. To do this, you can configure conditional access policies on directory roles that have the authorization of password recovery. And for steps on getting set up, I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 279. And you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com or... Uh, you can also find it in the description field on, for this episode on your podcast platform of choice if it allows links in the, the platform. But also related, Intune also announced the ability to manage and support Windows Laps, bringing Microsoft's admin password management solution to the cloud. Now, I just covered that fact, but Intune had their own separate uh, posts and page about the product and its integration within Intune. And if you listen to the podcast regularly, none of this should be news to you as the preview was actually public knowledge for the last few weeks. But they've made it kind of official with actual landing pages and announcement pages. NVIDIA have released what they're calling Nemo Guardrails, which is an open source toolkit aimed at making AI powered apps more accurate, appropriate, on topic and secure. Jonathan Cohen, the VP of Applied Research at NVIDIA, says the company has been working on Guardrail's underlying system for many years, but just about a year ago realized it was a good fit for models along the lines of GPT-4 and ChatGPT. According to TechCrunch.com, Guardrails can be used to prevent, or at least attempt to prevent, models from veering off-topic, responding with inaccurate information or toxic language, and making connections to unsafe external sources, so an example of this might be if you ask a chat GPT or chatbot a question, this AI service could keep it from using a disreputable source like a, an academic journal that has already been defunct, for example. And there is a fully managed cloud service offering for guardrails that will come at a cost, but any company can implement the open source release of guardrails for free. 
And a quick side note, as it is not very enterprise related, but Snapchat just released their AI chatbot within their app. So expect chatter about that on social media over the coming days. I've already seen a few people posting on Twitter with their screenshots of the chats and the fact that it's not doing a very good job so far. For example, uh, my team that I sponsor, Gawi United, are playing Cove Ramblers this weekend. And Cove is a town in Cork. Uh, but if you ask the chat service about who Galway United is playing this week, they say that they're playing Cork City, which is a different team in the county of Cork. So uh, <laughs> a ways off. Cork City is not even in the same division as Galway. Google Cloud Platform's Paris data center is down currently. The status page said that there was water intrusion in Europe West 9A that has caused a multi-cluster failure and has led to an emergency shutdown of multiple zones. And Google expects general unavailability of this region. And there's no current ETA for recovery of operations in that Europe West 9 zone. So pretty bad news for Google Cloud Platform on that front. But there's some good news coming up later in this episode. And a bit of bad news for Microsoft and their cloud offering, but Microsoft's Exchange Online suffered connectivity issues that affected customers in North America this week, according to BleepyComputer.com. Some customers reported seeing errors when trying to log into their accounts, while others were caught in a sign-in loop where they were asked to enter their passwords kind of over and over. The good news is, at the time of this recording, the issue has been resolved. The bad news is, this isn't the first service issue for Exchange Online in the last few weeks, so it's not a great look on the cloud that these outages keep happening this frequently. Microsoft have published PowerShell scripts for multiple different speculative execution side-channel attack CPU vulnerabilities on Windows 11 and Windows 10, according to Neowin.net. The scripts can help you verify the status of speculative execution side-channel mitigations, and Microsoft published PowerShell scripts that can run on your devices. For example, one of these scripts includes the memory-mapped I.O. Uh, flaw, which received new updated patches recently on Windows 10 and Windows Server. This isn't the first time that Microsoft have released these types of mitigation PowerShell scripts, and it probably won't be the last time either. And actually, I think I shared on Twitter that uh, some gaming company has an optimization uh, guideline for running their service, and one of them was to disable Windows Defender mitigation scripts and also to disable UAC. Uh, which obviously do not do that for the love of god don't do that the azure virtual desktop app is now available in the microsoft store for public preview the new avd app has the same features and flexibility as the remote desktop for windows client and includes some additional capabilities including that with the remote desktop client updates are only available through manual update but using the new app updates are automatic so users no longer need to be concerned about missing an update automatic updates keep users current on all the latest features and releases i think that's pretty good i mean they make it pretty evident when there's an update available within the old remote desktop client you see that little green 
uh, icon in the top right corner. Like I'm pretty good at keeping on top of it and keeping it up to date. Although I also have my own automated uh, packaging workflow using CloudPager that actually deploys mine. But still, when I didn't use that, it was pretty obvious when there was an update available, but it would be nice to have something that's just kept automatically up to date. Also available with this is the new AVD app allows the user to reduce the clutter of apps in their start menu and personalize it by picking the remote apps they want to uh, put on the start menu or pin to the start menu. I mean, that's not all that huge, but sure. <laughs> if they say it is, then why not? The AVD app runs on Windows 10 and Windows 11, so it's not just restricted to Windows 11 for the preview, uh, like the Windows 365 app initially was. So if you have Windows 10 or Windows 11, you can go ahead and try it out. The Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin for Apple devices has been released, and it offers benefits including uh, providing SSO for Azure AD accounts across all applications that support the Apple Enterprise SSO feature. It can be enabled by any mobile device management solution and is supported in both device and user enrollment. It extends SSO to applications that don't yet use the Microsoft Authentication Library. It extends SSO to applications that use OAuth 2, OpenID Connect, and and SAML, and it is natively integrated with the MSAL, which provides a smooth native experience to end users when the Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin is enabled. To use the Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin for Apple devices, the device must support and have an installed app that has the Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin for Apple devices, and that's available on iOS 13 and later, iPad OS 13 and later, Mac OS 10.15 and later, and the device must be enrolled in MDM, so for example through Microsoft Intune, and configuration must be pushed to the device to enable the Enterprise SSO plugin, and Apple requires this security constraint, so it looks like you can't manually set this you're going to have to push this to the devices so still it's progress and that's awesome there are some other new features and enhancements for Intune this month that were announced, including that you can now use the Disable Activation Lock Device action in Intune to bypass Activation Lock on Mac devices without requiring the current username or password. The ServiceNow integration is now generally available. Additional permissions are available so administrators can control delivery of content created and deployed from organizational messages, as well as the delivery of content from Microsoft to users, and endpoint security firewalls while rules support for ICMP type now too and there's been much more announced as well and I'll share a link with this episode that contains all of what's new for Intune for this month and you can find that with episode 279 at 5 Thanks to my buddy Ruben Sprout for this next one. Ruben's eagle eye spotted the Microsoft updated the Microsoft 365 apps for server OS page in March. And it says that the Microsoft 365 apps is st are still only supported on Windows Server 2019 until October 2025. And the Microsoft 365 apps on version 2302 or later is supported on Windows Server 2022 while Windows Server 2022 is in mainstream support. And that mainstream support for Server 2022 ends in October 2026. It says that Microsoft 365 is governed by the modern lifecycle policy, which requires customers to stay current as per the servicing and system requirements for the product or service. And this policy includes using Microsoft 365 apps on a Windows operating system that is currently in support. 
And if your organization is using a version of Windows Server that doesn't support Microsoft 365 apps, they recommend that you move to Windows 365 or Azure Virtual Desktop. And there's a note added too that says it's important that using Microsoft 365 apps on older unsupported operating systems may cause performance and reliability issues over time. These issues could include new features added to Microsoft 365 apps or updates to existing features not working as expected. So the way I interpret this, there's still a squeeze on if you're using um, server OS for maybe published desktops and um, actually just trying to support Microsoft 365 apps on multi-session operating systems other than that uh, multi-user uh, Windows 10 EVD or Windows 11 EVD available via Azure Virtual Desktop. And they're suggesting to use Windows 365 or Azure Virtual Desktop, which <laughs> I know it's very out in the open that, hey, we're trying to push you in that direction. So <laughs> the story at the, the top of the program may apply to this situation. Regardless, uh, if you're using 2019 for those 365 apps, the clock is ticking. 2025 is not too far away. And even from 2022, uh, 2026 is not that far away either. So probably best to start making a plan on how you're going to handle this going forward. This week, Microsoft announced a single consistent domain for all Microsoft 365 apps and services going forward, and that domain is cloud.microsoft. They say that it will streamline the overall experience for users by reducing sign-in prompts, redirects, and delays when navigating across apps. For admins, it will drastically reduce the complexity of the allow lists required to help your tenants stay secure while enabling users to access the apps and services they need to do their work. And for all customers and developers, it will lay a foundation for better and tighter integration across the Microsoft 365 ecosystem by streamlining the development and improving performance of cross-app experiences. So it sounds pretty good because it is kind of annoying when you're in one service, then you go into another in a new tab, but it prompts you for its sign-in again. So uh, this should streamline things significantly. Also interesting that it's cloud.microsoft. I wonder if they're at all sour that uh, Citrix owned that cloud domain. Google have addressed a cloud platform security vulnerability that was impacting all users and allowing attackers to backdoor their accounts using malicious OAuth applications installed from the marketplace or third-party providers. After being authorized and linked to an OAuth token that gives it access to the Google account, malicious apps could be made invisible by attackers after exploiting this vulnerability. Google's April patch allows GCP OAuth applications in pending deletion states to appear on the apps with access to your account page, allowing users to remove them and protect their accounts from hijacking attempts, according to bleepycomputer.com. A security org asterisk has advised that all Google users should visit their account's app management page and check all authorized third-party apps, ensuring that each of them has only the permissions they require to function. I think that's a pretty good practice to do every few weeks or every once in a while at least. And speaking of the Google Cloud Platform, Google said its cloud group has turned profitable on an operating basis after showing losses for more than three years. The segment generated $191 million in operating income on $7.45 billion in revenue in the first quarter. 
So this is pretty significant because I remember covering on a previous episode of the podcast, I think a couple of years ago, uh, that the head of the Google Cloud Platform had said that you know they might shut down the service in a few years if it did not become profitable. And it seems like the goal to become profitable, I think it was within the next five years, seems to have been achieved, even though the industry and just tech in general, particularly cloud services, have slowing growth. So hopefully that does not get eroded or impacted by that slowing growth, and they continue to record profits for quarters to come because it is good like it's good to have competition and the google cloud platform is the third most popular and more widely used product on the market the verge have reported that microsoft's edge browser appears to be sending urls that you visit to its bing api website Reddit users first spotted the privacy issues with Edge last week, noticing that the latest version of Edge sends a request to bingapis.com with the full URL of nearly every page that you navigate to. Microsoft, for their part, have said that they are aware of reports and are investigating and will take appropriate action to address any issues. But until Microsoft completes its investigation and presumably patches the problem, The Verge at least are recommending that users should turn off the Follow Creators feature in Edge. Chances are that you never knew it existed and will never use it, so it's not a function you're likely to miss. And to do that, you can navigate to settings, go to privacy, search and services, and scroll down to services, then toggle off the switch beside the show suggestions to follow creators in Microsoft Edge, and then you should be fine. VMware have released VMware Fusion version 13.0.2 and also VMware Workstation version 17.0.2 Pro. And these releases resolve the CVE-2023-20869 and CVE-2023-20870 vulnerabilities. And those are under Security Advisory VMSA-2023-008. And I believe I've reported them on the podcast last week or the week before, but those have been patched in these releases of those products. And also in the release notes for VMware Workstation 17.0.2, some other bug fixes were included in this release too. A tech preview has been released by Citrix, which provides significant enhancements to Citrix's Enlightened Data Transporter, EDT, with Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops 2303. And they say that this release maximizes session performance in increasingly challenging scenarios. So relating to everyone, pretty much everyone working remotely these days. This enhancement comes in the form of a new congestion control algorithm. And to try out the new control algorithm, you'll need to have VDA version 2203, Workspace app for Windows version 2203, and there's a couple of scripts that you'll need to run, and I'll share a link to those with this episode of the podcast. But from an HTX perspective, you can expect better in-session responsiveness, so lower ICA round-trip time, higher throughput, so better visual quality and higher frame rate with smoother moving images. And this results in an overall better interactivity and user experience. The higher the latency and loss rate, the more noticeable the benefits should be. And Citrix claim in several bulk data transfer tests that they performed, they saw improvements that were up to five times in some scenarios. So five time improvement, pretty good. 
And a very quick hit from Citrix, but just a reminder, the Citrix Web Studio, which is the web version of Citrix Studio for anyone who's using CVAN and is maybe used to the uh, full client install, well, Citrix Web Studio is now generally available. So with that 2023 release for on-prem, if you want to check out Citrix Web Studio, it's available in that version. The Google Authenticator app for Android and iOS with an account synchronization option that allows users to now back up their time-based one-time passwords to the cloud is now available according to thehackernews.com. So if you've ever had Android devices that maybe you lost and that completely screwed up your MFA if you're using the Authenticator app, well, now the good news is the Authenticator app allows you to back these one-time passwords up. So uh, get on that if you're using the Authenticator app. Microsoft had their earnings call this week where they reported that they made $52.9 billion in revenue and a net income of $18.3 billion during the third quarter. And revenue is up 7% and net income has increased by 9%. While Windows, Xbox, and devices revenue have all been hit hard this quarter, Microsoft's cloud, office, and server business have made up for weaknesses elsewhere according to The Verge. PC sales are in the toilet, obviously, has been, as has been reported on this podcast in the past, and elsewhere too, but despite this, PC demand was a bit higher than they expected, but it still represents a significant reduction on previous years. Xbox saw a 30% drop this quarter, along with a slight increase of 3% in Xbox content and services revenue, thanks mainly to Xbox Game Pass growth. Overall, gaming revenue has declined 4%. Revenue in Office, Cloud, and Server products has made up for Xbox devices and Windows, though. In Server products and Cloud services, revenue grew 17%, with Azure revenue up 27%. Microsoft says the growth was driven by strong demand for consumption-based services. Microsoft 365 consumer subscribers grew 12% this quarter, up to 65.4 million subscribers. That's also an increase on the 63.2 million that were reported last quarter. The Office commercial products and cloud services revenue also grew by 13% this quarter, with Office 365 commercial revenue up 14%. LinkedIn also saw record engagement this quarter, according to Microsoft, and sessions grew by 15% on the social network and revenue is up 8%, which I find particularly interesting because a lot of my friends and fellow techies have moved a lot of their conversations from Twitter to LinkedIn, although now there's something called Blue Sky that seems to be grabbing a lot of attention, so perhaps a lot of the conversation will move there if that's successful. Satya Nadella, this Microsoft CEO, also revealed on Microsoft's earnings call that Microsoft Teams now has 300 million monthly active users. And not surprisingly, Microsoft also touted the potential success for their new AI integrations during the call, so something for uh, investors to maybe get excited about and potential growth in that area to further make up for reductions in different divisions. Amazon have started laying off employees in its cloud services operation AWS amid slowing sales growth in its most profitable division. AWS personnel in the US, Canada, and Costa Rica are affected according to a report by Bloomberg.com. And overall, Amazon is reported to be axing 27,000 employees who are mostly holding corporate positions. 
And finally, the European Commission has declared that certain online platforms and search engines with very large user bases will have to comply with a series of obligations laid out under the Digital Services Act, or DSA. The DSA has been in the works for some time now as part of the EU's plan to make the internet safer for users and moderate what kind of content is spread on digital forums. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, Zalando, Bing, Wikipedia, and more will be given four months to comply with certain DSA rules. These platforms, together with Google Search and Bing, will have to provide users with very clear communication around terms and conditions. These platforms will also be restricted from targeting minors with online ads, and they will have to make it easier for users to flag illegal content. Silicon Republic reports, overall, more accountability and transparency surrounding how they use people's data will be a requirement. Now, kind of like GDPR, I think it's probably going to be good in theory, but we're going to have to see how it's enforced and also how it's implemented. Hopefully it's not going to be as disruptive or intrusive as GDPR and those annoying uh, cookie notifications that pop up on websites is. But that's it for the news. Let's cover some scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, a recommendation from something that I was listening to over the last couple of weeks, but there's a really awesome podcast that's hosted by Alan Alda. Yes, the Alan Alda from the hit TV show MASH, uh, but it's called Clear and Vivid. And the whole kind of overarching theme of it is about kind of communication and the use of empathy for communicating effectively and so on. Uh, but over the last two episodes, there's been some really interesting conversations that I think will pertain to anyone who has to do public speaking, uh, whether it's at an event or even just speaking up at uh, work meetings and so forth. Uh, but like one of the topics was uh, public speaking and the uses of ums and ahs and how a lot of people think that's an imperfection and you should try not to do that while speaking. Uh, but in reality, research has showed that ums and ahs not only can help the speaker to kind of take a pause and kind of gather their thoughts and communicate more effectively what they want to say, but it can also help those who are listening as they found that with research that people tend to think and process in their brain when there's an um or an ah that the speaker is going to say something that's new so they focus more intentively when they hear that um or ah so i thought that was pretty interesting uh, but there was also an episode on the use of hand gestures as well and there's just some really fascinating research about that as well uh, overall i really like the podcast i listen to it every week there's always something new that i learn from listening to it so i strongly recommend it uh, next up, Steve Beaumont had a blog post. Uh, it's quite old, I believe, but still pretty relevant. And this is on how to remove the personal version of Teams from Windows 11. So if you use Windows 11 and you type in search for Teams, you'll see two icons pop up. One is like the work and school, and then the other is just the, the regular personal Teams. And it can be annoying because if you use the search a lot like me, you might accidentally open the wrong one, and then you have to close it and then open the right one. So removing this will cut out that erroneous step. And finally, just to promote something that I created myself, I posted a blog post on the new Messen.com website on application-centric EUC and just how that applies to the digital employee experience or DEX, which is becoming a big topic with the industry analysts like Gardner and Forrester. I think it's pretty interesting that, you know, 
for example, I was working on a migration project many years ago with my buddy Louie and Chris and uh, some of my friends. And we had this really awesome project manager. And every single week we would come in and do like a progress meeting. And the PM would be like, we got to talk about the apps. And always came back to the apps because getting the image together, it might take a few weeks or maybe a few days, but tends to be pretty straightforward. Getting those apps during a migration project was a real pain in the butt, but not even on a migration perspective, but just ongoing basis. Users rely on apps, whether they're web apps via the browser, whether they're full client software like Win32 apps. They're using those apps for productivity. So while we're like trying to have this user-centric approach and delivering the best user experience and employee experience, you can't forget about the apps because that's the most important part for them having productive days and being happy. An unproductive worker that has a bunch of obstacles to get over, they're not happy. So tackling the apps is key to that and this blog post kind of covers my view on that. But that's it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening.